at the beginning of 2021, uh, we are just looking uh, again at these spiritual New Year's resolutions. Uh, it is something we occasionally do. I think I last preached on these resolutions about four, five years ago, and they were all in one sermon then. Uh, but uh, the Lord has led me to uh, expand on these. So four things, and these are not things we can do in our own strength. That is so important to realize. It's spirit-produced, and it's to do with our walk with Jesus Christ. Uh, this is my uh, longing for this new year, that we would have a closer walk with the Lord, that our spiritual life will thrive. I'm sure we may have made other resolutions as to our physical uh, well-being, and there is nothing wrong with that. But uh, one day our bodies are going to be in the dust, and our souls are going to be in glory. So if we are looking after our bodies, which is quite right, how much more should we give attention to the spiritual life? Uh, I'm not plucking these four things from the air. Uh, these are things that you will find uh, in the classic Christian uh, devotionals, whether they're the Puritans or the mystics. I've been much helped, as I mentioned last time, by a few chapters in Toza, Success and the Christian, a horrible title. Uh, but if we think of it as spiritual success, then maybe uh, that will help. And the first resolution we looked at last Sunday evening was mortify your sin. We're not going to get anywhere in the Christian life unless we deal with sin. We have been saved not just from the guilt of sin, but the power of sin has been broken. And that means uh, that we are now in a position to put to death. That's what mortify means, put to death uh, those lusts of the flesh. And we do that uh, in the power of the Spirit. And we're going to look this evening at another resolution that starts with the letter M. Can you guess what it is? from the hymns we've been singing. Magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. If you like to have verses, let me give you a couple. Uh, there is the one in Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Isn't that why we're here tonight? Even in these difficult times, yes, we're here to see one another, but we're here primarily to magnify, lift up the name of our God and Saviour. And maybe an even more famous reference is Psalm 40, verse 16. Psalm 40, verse 16. Let such as love thy salvation say, not just when we meet together, but say continually, the Lord be magnified. Is that your resolution for 2021? That whatever else may happen this year, that the name of Jesus Christ will be magnified. Uh, you know, this is absolutely foundational uh, to thriving in the Christian life. Uh, Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning of wisdom, but that's the beginning of everything. 
What does it fear God? It's not a craven, uh, carnal um, fear that's got terror in it. That's not the kind of fear we're thinking of. It's a childlike, reverential uh, fear that is motivated by love. Oh, how I fear the living God. Uh, That's how one hymnist put it. And it's this fear of God uh, that will permeate our whole being so that our very life will be changed. Not forced, right? I do not like forcing a person to make changes. It's a new attitude to God, then sinking into our hearts and moving our wills. Uh, That is why uh, John Calvin, uh, the famous reformer, started his institutes, which started off as a tract, believe it or not, to defend uh, Christianity. Uh, But by the end, it became two volumes (laughs) of theology. But he basically starts his famous work with this premise that the key to life, to the Christian life, is theological. Now, don't think of that as some academic uh, knowledge of doctrine. It is doctrinal understanding, but it's knowing God. And when you have God in the right place, in other words, when the Lord is lifted, is magnified, then that's going to change your whole approach to life, isn't it? And I believe that the problem with our evangelicalism is that our God is too small. Now, take note of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God is too small in and of himself. God is unchanging. Uh, How did Isaiah put it in the reading? Have you not known, evangelicals, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, God, who sits upon the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God hasn't changed, right? From generation to generation, God is great. Our problem is our conception of God has diminished. Our view of God has become too small. That's what we mean when we say that as evangelicals, our God has become too small. Not in his essence, but in our view of him. So what we need is a bigger view of God. That's what we're thinking of in this resolution. When we're praying, oh, magnify yourself amongst us, we're asking that we would have a clearer view of God in his awesome glory. Do you see yourself as a little grasshopper before this great being? Yes, a saved grasshopper, a grasshopper that's been loved, but still a grasshopper. A person who has a big view of God is not going to have a very big view of themselves. So God doesn't need to change, but we need to see him in a bigger way. 
Uh, let me give you another example from church history. You know, how, how do you define God in terms of his being? Uh, I feel uh, so insufficient here. Uh, how can you define someone who is spirit, who can't be seen? How can you define someone who is infinite? We are finite. How can you define somebody who doesn't have a beginning, who will not have an end? How do you define somebody who is all-powerful? How do you define somebody who knows everything, even the innermost thoughts of our hearts? Words are not sufficient to define God. Now, there was a meeting uh, of the Westminster Assembly uh, that was a 17th century gathering, and they were forming these theologians, they were all great uh, theologians. They were forming the Shorter Catechism and the Confession of Faith. Uh, some of those things we're familiar with. And they had to come with a definition of God. They had to come up with that. Imagine having to define God. And they were stuck. They, they were stuck. And they asked a brother, Brother, will you pray for us, please, so that we will have illumination to define God. And this brother got on his knees and he said, Oh God, thou art spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Amen. And they said, That's it. That's it. That's our definition of God. So if you look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, at the question, what is God? The answer you will have is that chap's prayer. God is a spirit, capital S, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let me tell you this. The best sermons come when you're on your knees. The best theology comes when you're on your knees. The best decisions are made when you're on your knees. Because it is there that we commune with God. We can't have some academic understanding of God which doesn't touch our hearts. It's got to be this fear of the Lord. Uh, let me uh, mention someone else. Uh, uh, someone who was a church father, you know, they were 100 years or so after uh, the early church. And some of those church fathers, they were, a, you know, they, they were a bit dodgy, weren't they, with some of their theological views? Let's be honest. They, they weren't as sound as we would have liked them to be. But they were godly people, you know, they were godly people. And one of them, Novation, he said at the contemplation of God's majesty. God is so big, majestic. All eloquence is dumb. For God is always greater than anything that can be said about him. And no language is worthy of him. He is more sublime. Something that's so big that words are not enough. He's so sublime. Uh, he's more sublime than all sublimity. And loftier, that speaks of a great height. He's loftier than all loftiness and profounder than all profundity, more splendid than all splendor, and more powerful than all powerful, 
more majestic than all majesty and more merciful than all mercy. Are you getting it, my friends? This God is just huge. Uh, When you have a sense of the presence of God, you're just aware that you're so small. Haven't we lost something? Haven't we lost this view of God? Aren't we looking too much at one another? You know, aren't the grasshoppers chirping too much? God, that's what we are interested in. This is life eternal, said Jesus Christ. To know thee, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. When Isaiah in the temple had the vision of God, he put his hand over his lips and he said, Woe is me, I am undone. A hymnist said it very well. Oh, measureless might, ineffable love. These things can't be defined. That's what he's saying. Words are not enough. Bring out your most eloquent words. They're not enough. Ineffable love. While angels delight to him the above, thy humbler creation, that you and I, we're just humbler creation. Though feeble their lays with true adoration, shall lisp, that's all we can do, shall lisp to thy praise. And yet, don't you love doing that? Just lisping his praise. He's so big, we're never going to be able to fully understand him. He's so mysterious, we're never going to be able to explain him. We just want to worship him, you know? So this is where we start. Uh, We're just in awe of God, and we can't put him into a little box. We can't fit him into uh, some category. We'll just realize he's creator, I'm a creature. Now then, let's move on to a second point. Now you can see what my three points are, hopefully. Once you begin to have this theological understanding the acid test of this is not how much you talk about God because there are people in other religions who will talk about God it's how much Jesus Christ is lifted up the essence of Christianity And what gives us our name, Christian, is Christ. And so when we're talking about um, magnifying God, if Christ isn't being lifted up, then it's not the God of the Bible that's being magnified. Maybe the most famous uh, description of this is John the Baptist, isn't it? Do you know what the context was of John's statement, Jesus must increase and I must decrease? Do you know what the context was? Uh, there had been a crowd following John the Baptist. They, they uh, drank in his sermons and they were baptized by him. And then when Jesus Christ came uh, preaching, those people left John and they went and followed Jesus Christ. And uh, John was told this, John was told this, uh, What would have been your response? I know I'm the preacher here, but think what happens when many people 
turn away from your preaching and go and follow some other preacher. We tend to be envious, don't we? It wasn't like that with John the Baptist. He was saying, in effect, I'm rejoicing that they're no longer following me, that they've gone after Jesus Christ, for he, he must increase, but I must decrease. Therefore, my joy is fulfilled. That's what filled his joy, this continuum. If Jesus Christ is increasing, then in the continuum, ego must decrease. You can't have both together. Uh, James Denny, a 19th century preacher, said, you can't bear witness to yourself and Jesus Christ at the same time. Either he increases and we decrease, or we increase and he decreases. So the acid test is Christ. Uh, This is not just uh, John the Baptist. Uh, Think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, This is uh, what happened to Paul. He was in prison, right? And some preachers took advantage of Paul's imprisonment. And they went around preaching. And while they were preaching, they were undermining the Apostle. They were saying unkind things about him. And uh, Paul got to hear about this. And this is what he said. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Wonderful. The Apostle Paul was thrilled that the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached. He did not care if the preacher was preaching for the wrong motives even, as long as Christ was preached. Would to God that we would have that same attitude. Can we rejoice in the fact that in this great city of Cardiff, there are so many churches that preach Jesus Christ? I know there is a history uh, without saying any more. But can we rejoice that in God's providence, in the 21st century, there are still many churches that are magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. Another psalm, Psalm 57. Uh, It was going to be the reading. The psalmist prays. And the psalmist was being slandered, but this was his prayer. Lord, be thou exalted. Be thou exalted. Can we pray that? Lord Jesus, you increase and I decrease. Lord Jesus, you be exalted. Not me, not our church. Your name be magnified. And can you pray this? I don't think I've got to this point. Lord, be exalted, even at my expense, even if my name is trodden underfoot. As long as you're being exalted, I will be happy. Uh, D.L. Moody, a great 19th century evangelist, he had a preaching tour in this country, uh, several tours, and he went up to Scotland, right? And in Scotland, they are very, very sound, uh, the Presbyterians. 
And a number of them, the ministers in the Free Church of Scotland, they did not agree with D.L. Moody's methods of evangelism. And so they didn't attend the meetings. Apparently, there was great blessing upon the meetings. And as happens in these controversies, people go into extreme positions and things were said on both sides that shouldn't have been said. And D.L. Moody said of some of these sound ministers that they weren't Christians because they couldn't support his mission. And one minister went to see another minister, another free church minister, and he said, do you know what D.L. Moody said of so-and-so, naming a minister, that he's not a Christian? And you know what was D.L. Moody's response? How? Not D.L. Moody. Do you know what the pastor's response was? How dare D.L. Moody say that? Of that man, he's, he's a, a genuine believer. And then the minister who came to see this pastor said, ah, yeah, but D.L. Moody also said, you're not a Christian. And do you know what this minister did? He got on his knees and he asked the Lord to search his heart to see whether that was the case. I like that. Do you? Be thou exalted, even if our names are trampled upon Let me quote from Tozer here. Uh, Tozer was writing about American evangelicalism, the middle of the 20th century. Uh, it takes time, doesn't it, for things in America to come over here. Uh, it can be so applicable to our situation today. I am sure that if we all saw Jesus bigger, we would see people smaller. This is the day of the magnification of slick personalities. And as we magnify men, we minimize Jesus Christ. Do not think that we have escaped the curse in evangelical circles, for we have not, says Tozer. We have whole meetings in which we never see Jesus Christ at all. We only see his servants. And the curlier the hair of the servants, this is Tozer now, the more we see the servant. And if he's been pardoned from murdering his grandmother's aunt, we magnify him still more. And if he's been half converted from movie acting or sports, we magnify him still more. Man, not Christ. You can't have both. How did we sing? May the mind of Christ, my Saviour, live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win and may they forget the channel. May they not see the curly hair. May they not see the background. May they forget the channel, seeing only him. The greatest man in the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. Paul would have been a great man even if he hadn't been converted. He had a brilliant mind. He had uh, willpower to get things accomplished. And do you know what he said writing to the Corinthians? And in Corinth, Paul could have taken the philosophers head on. 
but he didn't. The church in Corinth was split because people were dividing around personalities. And you know what Paul said, writing to the Corinthians? We preach not ourselves. And he could have preached himself and had results. But he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. I love that. Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus Christ in our view? Do we seek to magnify him? It's not just for us preachers. It's a very dangerous place, the pulpits, because you can get in the way of Jesus Christ. Uh, One preacher said of John the Baptist, he prepared the way, he pointed the way, behold the Lamb of God, and when Jesus came, he got out of the way. But it's in everything, isn't it? In our service, Uh, if we have gifts, we don't want people to see the gifts We want people to see the Saviour through us. So, one last thing. Can can you see my three points this evening? God the Father, God the Son. How do we magnify Jesus Christ? We can't do it in our own strength. It's through the Spirit. I find this amazing that where God is magnified, it's not just God the Father, it's the Son who is being lifted up. And the Holy Spirit is there to enable us to do that. You know, the Holy Spirit has taken an interest in you and I as Christians. I just find that uh, really uh, amazing, uh, that all three persons of the Trinity are uh, involved in our salvation. And... uh, It's not Christian celebrities that we need. Uh, It's not uh, great gifts that we need. Uh, It's not uh, some uh, resources that we need more of. It's not even more people that we need. All of those things are nothing in and of themselves. What we need is God, the Spirit. And when we're praying that the Lord would visit us and make Jesus Christ more real what we're praying in effect is that the holy spirit would come and when he has come he doesn't draw attention to himself he puts the spotlight on jesus christ Uh, i had a good brother say to me um i don't want to attract he was a minister and he said i don't want to attract anybody to my church now that sounds awful doesn't it of course we want people to come of course but what he meant was this i don't want to attract any person to my church apart from one person and he was right Jesus Christ I want Jesus Christ to make his presence known and felt that's what happens when the spirit comes and when Jesus Christ comes people are drawn my friends they can't help it what we should do as a church is do our utmost to attract Jesus Christ Um, Tozer again Uh, I hope you don't mind his quaint, uh, folksy manner. A meeting is not big because a lot of people are present. A meeting is big because a number of people see a big God in the meeting. And the bigger God is, then the greater the meeting. A friend of mine has a little saying, I would rather have a big little meeting than a little big meeting. Can you understand that? Let me repeat it. I would rather have... uh, big little meeting than a little big meeting 
(laughs) Magnify God. I pray that our great God will make himself big in our eyes so that when we meet, our conversation will not be shop talk. It will be about God. Uh, I've been in little big meetings. I've mentioned before, haven't I? 200,000 people in a sports stadium in India. And it was prosperity gospel. That was a big meeting by human standards. It was a little meeting by God's standards. And I've preached in a little church in Mid Wales, only a handful of people, uh, three or four of us. And yet it's been a big meeting because Jesus Christ has been present and he's made his presence known and felt by the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean. A little big meeting. No, a big little meeting. It excites me to realize what God can do with a small group of people if they are trusting in him. It frightens me what we can lose out on when we're a big group thinking that we can do it in our own strength and paying lip service to God the Holy Spirit. Uh, Toza gives another example. I said I'd been helped by Toza. Uh, he says of a preacher who was preaching on John seven thirty eight, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And the preacher said, this is how, how the spirit comes upon you and then flows out from your hearts to touch other lives. And after this man had preached, two other ministers uh, took him to task. They gave him feedback and they said it was okay as a sermon, but his exegesis was very wrong. Right? So that's what they did. And then one of them, he came down from his theological pedestal and he apologized with tears to this preacher. And he said, brother, we may have the right exegesis, but you have the rivers. Now, there's nothing wrong with correct exegesis. It's actually very important. (laughs) We must expound the word, right? But, oh... It's the rivers we want. I would not want to have a correct understanding of scriptures and to have dry brooks flowing from the pulpits. It's the rivers of living water that we need. And aren't there preachers who we may not fully agree with, but my, they've got the rivers. They've got the rivers. Don't you want the rivers here? Uh, I'm coming to a conclusion. Uh, we've been praying, haven't we, for the Spirit. We've uh, spent a week asking God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, carry on asking. This is the greatest favor you can do, a preacher, to lift him before God and pray that the Spirit will anoint him so that Christ will be lifted on high. That Jesus Christ will visit you and me in our own spheres as well. That he would become big. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very good expositor, incidentally, (laughs) he said he could forgive a preacher anything as long as you had a sense of God. A sense of God. It's not even the blessing that we're seeking, is it? It's not even the Spirit, dare I say, 
It's Christ coming by his spirits. And do you know this? Once it was the blessing. Now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling. Now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted. Now the giver own. Once I sought for healing. Now himself alone. Himself. That's what we want. Himself. Uh, the denomination that Tozer was in, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, it was started by um, Simpson, uh, A.B. Simpson, a really interesting character, 19th century. He had many flaws. And somebody asked Tozer once, Mr. Tozer, uh, why did A.B. Simpson get used so powerfully by God? And the answer was, God knew that his glory was safe in the hands of A.B. Simpson. He knew that he could trust A.B. Simpson never to filch any of the honor that belonged to God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name bring the glory. Maybe this is where we get it wrong. Uh, we ask and ask amiss so that we may consume it upon our lusts. Oh, may we pray, God be magnified, Christ be glorified by the Spirit, not so that we can have uh, the glory, not so that our church can be talked about, but that you get all the glory. Um, Di Crocker went to be with the Lord recently. I don't know how many of you would have known Di. She belonged to a generation that really did know the Lord, and th they were mighty in prayer. We will greatly miss them. And we sang a hymn in Dai's funeral, uh, which I've never sung before. And it says this. This is what I'm concluding with. My goal is God himself. Not even blessing, but himself, my God, Tis his to lead me there, not mine, but his, at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. No matter if the way be sometimes dark, no matter though the cost be oft times great, he knoweth how I best shall reach the mark. The way that leads to him must needs be straight. Magnify the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, himself, not the blessing. May God, in these weeks, increase that desire in our hearts to seek himself, even if it's at our expense, for his namesake.